Welcome to All Talk Oncology. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And let me say, again, as always, we have a phenomenal guest on our show. You know, you may have not known this gentleman. I have come to have the privilege of knowing him and getting a little bit of background on his story. This gentleman studied a little bit of the pre-law and has been out on the road and trucking for over 14 years. And so today, when you think about topics as multiple myeloma, what comes to mind? And so when you think of that, you can't help but to think of Tom Brokoff, of a man who has battled this, this cancer disease. And you think of Roy Schneider. You may have known him. For those that are too young, you may not know. But for, for some of us who, who's been around a while, Roy Schneider was the gentleman from Jaws. He's the actor from Jaws. So without further ado, this is a, a subject that people have, uh, are going through as far as multiple myeloma. It's not an easy battle, you know, when you're, especially when you're dealing with a blood type disease. How do you deal with that? How do you manage? We're going to find out today. Let us tune in as we listen to David Jacobs as you bring him to our show, All Talk Oncology. David, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. So talk to us a little, David. I mean, most of myeloma, it's, it's no joke. You know, none of these cancers are friendly, right? You know, right. They're, not, they're not welcoming you with open arms. Talk to me a little bit about uh, your diagnosis. I am a pretty ambitious guy. I had some physical jobs. Before I got my commercial driver's license, went on the road. So the pain that I was feeling from this was m probably many years before I was actually diagnosed. And I just thought it was from physical exertion because it was an internal pain, like a deep tissue or a muscular type strain from an active day, lifting and twisting and pulling pallets and, you know, stuff like that. And I just chalked it up that it was, you know, a good day's work, take an Epsom salt bath, pop some Tylenols, get up and do it again, Monday through Friday, you know? It wasn't until I moved to California from Seattle and we didn't know anyone, my ex-wife and the kids and I, we didn't know anyone. So we got annual passes to Disneyland in California Adventure and we went every weekend. Well, that's when the pain worsened from walking because it's it was in my right femur, hip and spine. So as we're at the happiest place on earth, I became the grumpiest person on earth because of the pain. <laughs> And I started complaining, you know, we don't have to go to the park every weekend. We don't have to go to both parks in a day. We don't have to catch the last tram and stay all day, catch the last tram to the parking garage. I just started complaining, you know, and the kids and, and the ex-wife, you know, they were kind of looking at me like, well, what's going on? This is the happiest place on earth. And then it came to a Sunday where I couldn't walk at all. Like I slid down the stairs. I was never a person that would voluntarily go to the doctor. You had to argue with me to go to a doctor because I always felt like it was take to, to uh, ibuprofen or Tylenol and pain doesn't subside, then, you know, come back. And so I came down and I says, I got to go to ER. Take me to ER now. Something's not right. Something internally is not right. I can't describe it. It's not a bone. It's not a muscle, but something's not right. And that was alarming to my family. I think even my Rottweiler kind of turned around and looked at me like, <laughs> what? You want to go to the doctor? And I went to ER and the brilliant ER doctor, instead of doing an x-ray, he did a CAT scan because uh, in layman terms, and a CAT scan is like a more many x-rays. And so the x-ray would not have picked up the lesions, the cancerous lesions on my bones an x-ray wouldn't have picked that up the way a CAT scan did because it gets closer in for a closer look. And they didn't want to diagnose me, but they said, this looks cancerous. And so that's when I started finding out what was going on. 
Wow. So tell them, I mean, that, that must've been a shocker to you. I mean, prior to that, you're fairly healthy, you know, you, you're kind of active, you played sports and now all of a sudden you're getting hit with information about this might be cancer. How was that information when you got that news? I didn't get the full effect of receiving that news because they didn't want to diagnose me because that wasn't their area of expertise. This is just ER, but Mm -hmm. they were just giving me a preliminary indication of their findings. So I stayed the night in a hospital and I met my oncologist. He just came down the hall in street clothes with a stethoscope, came in, listened to my heart, and uh, wrote his, he wrote, he didn't even have his own card. He just wrote his number down on somebody else's card and left, right? <laughs> I won't even talk about how what the fee was for that. But I started seeing him and then I got set up for a biopsy and he had access to the CAT scan. And so when I received the, when I, after I got the biopsy results, that's when I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. And I'll tell you, I'll never forget the day. I always thought in TV shows and movies that when something happens in a person's life so adverse, the world slows down and it starts spinning and you're in a daze and you can't believe what's going on. That literally happened to me to the point I couldn't even drive. I had to call my bestie and I was crying She started crying. I couldn't call my wife at the time because she had just started a new job. So I couldn't even call and tell her. And it it was just mind boggling. Also because it was the same cancer that my father was battling when he passed away, although they say it's not hereditary. Wow. So this is something that was within the family. So your dad had had battled this, this cancer as well. Yes. Wow. For seven years. And I'm in my seventh year. So yeah, I was, I just thought it was, it was a wrap at that point. Sure. Sure. Especially if you've already kind of seen what your father has gone through, you, you kind of already have a, a visual of what potentially could be right. Yes. Yeah. So one thing about me though, is it, something might hit me And then I have to internalize it and process it and go through the initial reaction, which might bring me down or whatever. And then I always bounce back. Somebody says, I'm like a cat. I always land on my feet. And then, you know, you have to develop a mentality that this isn't the end. This isn't going to take me out. And so I called my stepmom and I told her the news and I'm just upset. I'm I'm thinking this is the end. And she said, yeah, he had it, but that's not what he died from. And I said, what, what he didn't, that's not what he died from. She's like, no, he battled it for seven years. And, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't sit down. He wouldn't rest. (laughs) He fell and broke his hip and got an infection and wouldn't cooperate and take the medication for the infection. So he died from an infection. And I said, oh, that, okay. So she's like, yeah, you know, they probably got better stuff now to treat it. Probably would have lived, you know, a lot longer had he done right. So that's when my mentality changed. Yeah. And it's what I tell people, no matter what cancer they have, your first battle, your biggest battle is mind over matter. Okay. They say that, right? The mindset and how do you gain that? Because David, not everyone has that ability to bounce back the the resilience to come go. Okay. And let me go ahead. What do I do next now? Let's go and attack this. And it seems that that came to you at no problem. Yeah. I remember when I got the diagnosis, my wife at the time says, let's go shopping. And we just went out and just took the kids and went shopping and it calmed everyone down. And then I have that, I just have that mentality. It's, I think it's from my dad's bloodline. I have that instinct that, kind of killer instinct. And I said, uh, this isn't, this isn't going to own me. And then someone who didn't really battle cancer, but he helped a lot of cancer patients. He told me, he said, the first thing that you do in your fight is you don't claim it. Don't ever claim it. Whenever you speak on it, you say, I have been diagnosed. You don't say I have cancer. 
you say I have been diagnosed because if you say you have it, then you've you're already starting to lose the fight. Absolutely. So what did that do to you when you got that type of feedback and saying, hey, don't claim it? I mean, it's little things like that, but are they really little? You know, that's huge. It what did that do little, for you? It seems little, but it isn't because it keeps me on top of it. It's not owning me. I'm saying this is what they say I have. The test shows that I have it, but I don't have it. But I'm gonna let you go ahead and treat me because I'm I'm not feeling good and maybe it'll help me feel better. But I I'm not claiming it. And so what I tell people is when you say the fight, the battle with cancer, yeah, I used to think yeah. that it was mostly physical because you're sick, you're in pain, you're tired, you gotta drag yourself in for treatment when you're not feeling to it or whatever. That's 30% of it. The rest is 70. It's a 70-30 mix for me. It's 70% mental, 30% physical. You have so much going on mentally. So David, how do you gain that, right? So for the listeners that are out there and they, they go, okay, they may not have that mental toughness like you. What is it that you, you have done or what is it that you can you would say to someone in order to acquire that mental toughness, especially if it's 70%. Again, you just have to not claim it. You have to minimize it. You have to, you have to believe. And I think mainly what has helped me is my faith. Being a Christian, being one of Jehovah's Witnesses, we have a faith. It's not really a religion. It's a faith and the things that we can't see, the promise of the future. And so once I gave this whole situation in prayer to God, I was at a calm. I didn't worry about it anymore because he is the giver of life. So I've never felt like he's going to take my life. He's the giver of life. So if I give it to him and I have faith in him, that that's all I need. That's all I need. So powerful, huh? Yeah. Because, you know, so many, and I, as I've seen in my 20 years experience, they take it back. And, and that, I think that's us as people sometimes, right? We, you, you say we give it up and we pray, but then we take it back. And so yeah. to, to be able to give it and have the faith and then having the mindset. So knowing that you, you have a spirituality that helps with the mindset, that someone that you can give it to, not claiming yeah. it. I hear you. This, this is, these are gems here. What else, what yeah. else has helped you along on this journey? I have a strong support base from many, many, many friends. Although I live in California, my heart's in Seattle where I was born and raised. I have so many friends. They all reached out to me. They have given me resources. They've referred me to uh, a holistic nutri nutritionist, the uh, naturopathic nutritionist, alkaline water, adding Himalayan salt to your water to raise the alkalinity, alkalinity uh, broccoli, CBD. So just a wide variety of things that I can just collectively, nigella seed, you know, just things that just help combat this. Changing my diet, using a more plant-based diet, where to get protein. And those things, believe it or not, really help. As a commercial driver, I was driving refrigerated and chilled. And I saw cows the size of elephants. And so I truly believe that there's something in the meat because cows shouldn't be that big. I've seen chickens the size of turkeys, right? And so when you think about it, in the meat industry, everything is by the pound. Everybody makes money by the weight of the meat. From the farmer, the grower, to the cattle hauler, to the grocery store and the butcher. So whatever they're putting in that meat that we're consuming, we're consuming what they're putting in the meat. And therefore we got seven feet, 
seven foot kids, you know, 300 pound teenagers. And also with that, the increase in cancer, because our bodies can't really produce that. They're not just grass fed cows anymore. And so when you reduce your intake of that, my counts just automatically just dropped and have stayed stable. That's a good point, David, that you're bringing up here. You know, diet sometimes gets overlooked in a lot of things that we do. When we get sick, how often is it that we look into our diet uh, as far as something that could be affecting us? So speak a little bit about what what changing your diet has done for you in this journey. Well, you it's 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 about trial and error because everyone was warning me about the meat and I could I could agree from what I've seen in the industry but I didn't really thoroughly research the precautions of going from being carnivorous to a plant-based plant-based diet so I really wouldn't suggest that to anyone until they thoroughly <laughs> research because what happened is I laid down to go to bed on a Monday night after Monday night football. And I missed one of my congregation meetings the following night on a Tuesday. I got a call from somebody who missed me at that that gathering on Wednesday morning and asked, was everything okay? And I says, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll see you tonight at the, at the congregation gathering. He's like, no, that was yesterday. I said, no, no, today's Tuesday. I went to sleep after Monday night football last night. He said, today's Wednesday. And I looked at my phone and I said, whoa, I slept for two days. Wow. I was not getting any protein. I figured a gorilla can live off of bananas and leaves or whatever, you know, and be as big as they are, no problem. Well, you know, why can't I? I wasn't getting enough protein, mm-hmm. but I have felt lighter because the cancer takes a lot out of you. Your energy just drops because as I've been explained, your body's already trying to fight the abnormal protein or the cancer cells in your body. And then to get chemo, right? That's like more poison. And your body's trying to fight that as it's working in your body, you're gonna be tired. Matter of fact, I was diagnosed, I was given prescribed a, a steroid to kind of stabilize me so that I wouldn't be so tired, so sick, you know, laying around. But when you have a good diet, that also helps with your energy. That helps keep you regular, you know, instead of bogged down with heavy meats and carbs and and all of that, along with whatever medications you're having. So the diet is a is a good part. It, it really helps for your energy, for your health, for your digestive system, for your life. And so as you're going through this, I mean, and, and that's, so, that's so important for everyone listening in, you know, who may be going through chemo. One of the things that we talked about before and a few episodes back was nutrition. And so it's nice to know that you confirm in this also as you, as you lived it, changing up your diet and getting the energy that you need, making sure you have this, this set amount of proteins. Well, now walk us a little bit to David through the chemo journey, because that's a whole nother beast, right? I mean, yeah. now you're getting, you're getting chemo. Was, was it oral? Was it an infusion? Talk to us a little bit about that experience. I've done all three. I've taken the horse pills. I've done the injections and left off with infusions because those get in right away and they just seem to be easier to, to do. But uh, again, it's trial and error. A lot of people think that chemo's chemo. They they look at it like it's uh, penicillin for an infection or something, and like it's an antibiotic. But there are different chemos for different cancers. So I can't tell someone who's been recently diagnosed that's going to have to go through chemo that they're going to have the same reaction to chemo that I did because if they don't have multiple myeloma, they're not going to be on the cytoxin or the Revlimid or whatever that I'm taking, they might be on something else for whatever cancer it is that they have. Yes. So your hair might not fall out. You might not be nauseous. You might not be as sick. 
they're all constantly coming out with new chemos and whatnot. But I had to learn many things. For instance, I would go to, to chemo. I would sit in this chair. I'd get my infusion for a couple of hours. I'd come home. I'd be sick as a dog, right? I get a, a metal taste in my mouth. Nothing tastes good anymore. You got to find what's good to drink that's palatable, what's good to eat that's palatable, that's still good for you, and how to combat that metal taste in your mouth, how to sustain an appetite. You got to do something to get an appetite because you're not going to be feeling like eating. And once I got those things figured out, then I could develop my routine. And also I learned to take my nausea medication before I went to the cancer center in the infusion room. That way it's already in my system before I get treated because when you get infused, it goes right into your blood system. And then I learned ginger, ginger drinks, ginger kombucha, ginger boiling ginger with lemon and honey or, or you know, uh, agave, you know, for sweetener or whatever, if you don't want to do sugar. And, and I'll talk about that in a sec too. Some of the things that make your cancer worse or exasperates it, so to speak. And so when you start developing, you know, ginger makes you feel a lot better with the nausea and the upset stomach. When you start learning the things that help you from week to week, you know, I would get treated on a Thursday and I wouldn't feel good till Tuesday night or Wednesday. And then I'd have to go back to on Thursday. It it was, it changed your life. So this is a trial and error, right? I mean, when you received your first chemo and not understanding, let me, let me take the nausea medication prior to this. So this is all trial and error and that you've experienced. So this feedback is priceless. Yes. And in the steroid, if they give you a steroid, because without the steroid, I tell people that I would be like one of the cancer patients in the movies in the Western or something like that, where, you know, you just, you, you may not be able to see the paleness on me, but I mean, you just don't feel like doing anything. You have absolutely no energy. Well, the, the steroid kind of picks you up, but the problem is you, you may not be able to sleep. You may not be able to, to lay down, but at least it stabilizes you enough to where you're not just laid out all of the time. So, you know, you've got to be able to communicate with your friends and family and loved ones that that steroid is going to change your attitude also. It'll make you a little aggressive, like most steroids do. You're not going to be you. You're going to always be agitated, even though you're not agitated. You're going to be amped is what I call it. And a lot of people, they don't get that. They think that you're just trying to get your way or, or get a free pass to be a jerk. And that's not so. So th- these drugs have a huge effect on your, on your mental and your attitude. Is that what you're saying? Yes, a huge effect. It makes, they, steroids make you aggressive. I mean, th- that's why people who, you know, abuse them, you know, the bodybuilders back in the day, the football players back in the day, you know, what was that, Gastonal or whatever with the Jets? You know, he was a, he was a he was a bad man. He was he was on those steroids. All this has moved me to want to be an advocate for cancer, so that I can help. That's why I was so happy and, and willing to come on the you know all talk all talk oncology to to talk about this to spread this because these are things that you know you need to know. Like you know, my marriage ended sh- shortly. You know after my diagnosis, after I had my stem cell transplant, because I was not easy to be around, even though I gave the disclosure, this medication, this steroid, this is making me mad, but I'm not mad. So if you respond to that and make me madder, now I'm mad to the fourth power, (laughs) but they don't get that. Yeah. That is something that does happen with those that are diagnosed. The divorce rate in relationships with those who suffer from from cancer does increase the divorce rate, and so it's it's a it's a hard thing to go through something like this and to maintain a relationship, or and to get through that. So I'm, so, I'm sorry to hear that, but uh, you're not alone in that either. Yeah, it's it's a challenge because you you can't work, you can't bring in your portion of the of the income. And for a lot of loved ones, 
they hate to see you suffer and it affects them greatly that they can't help you through your sickness, through your pain. They wanna do so much, but they don't know what to do. There may not be doing anything that they can do. When you feel like you're hungover and coming down with the flu and just drank a pot of coffee, there's nothing that anybody can do for you because that's the steroids and the chemo. There's, wow. there's just nothing for that, yeah. but to just fight through it. Cause you're gonna ask yourself, is this all worth it? Sure. You know. And, and, and that's the question too, David, you know, so here you are, you got diagnosed. It's 70% as you talked about mental, you're trying, you're, you're fighting to maintain this quality of life and to get over this hump. And then you also have this thing that happens to you personally in your relationship. Talk to us about how you were able to, to get yourself through all of that as you're battling I think that um, you have to develop an understanding for people's wanting to wanting to console you, wanting to help you, feeling empathy for you. But everybody reacts to things differently, you know. So some of the things that strengthened me were I, I had to just get tough skin, especially to some of the things people would say. Some people would say, you know, what type of cancer do you have, and then you. You say, oh, you know, my multiple myeloma. And they're like, oh my God, I knew somebody had had that, or, you know, so and so had that, or my father had that. And, you know, but he died, you know, and, and it's just like, well, <laughs> why are you telling me that? Like, how does that help me? But as you start to deal with that, you know, you realize a lot of people really want to, they, they, they want to console you. They just, what do you say? There's no condolences to give, but it's, what do you say, you know, or they want to, or they want to learn about it. So, you know, part of the thing is researching, reading the materials that are in the doctor's office, know about what you're battling, know about what you're up against, because knowing's half the battle. And then also acknowledging that there are new, newer, more and more new treat, treatments coming out all the time. But that's, that goes into why I said I wanted to be an advocate because I had to learn from myself where all these resources were. There's grants from, you know, like the Lymphoma Leukemia Society. There's, there's webinars, there's phone conferences, there's paraphernalia, material to read and, 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 and learn upon and learn and learn the, the latest research developments and the trial chemos that are out you know you could you could do a trial and not have to come out of pocket like you would for because some of those chemo visits can be one two three thousand dollars a visit yeah without the right insurance that's that could be costly sure so learning about who to talk to in the hospital to help look out for those things for you to present them to you it, it's so much mental and when you get diagnosed and your world spinning slowly like that, you need to be able to turn somewhere and say, hey, it's okay. Yeah. This is what's this is what you're looking at. This is yeah. what you should expect. This is what you should look into. This is what you should tell your family. This is the diet that's probably gonna, you know, work for you. Here's some resources. Here's some, here's where you might want to think about moving to for the best care. You know, I miss being back in Seattle now that has Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and Fred Hutchinson. And I mean, there's so much more than where I am here in California. But if you I, I feel confident with who I'm with because they're kind of linked into Stanford. So, you know, I, I'm good with that. But knowing's half the battle. Sure. So talk to me a little bit about this, because, you know, one, I'm happy that we, we have you on the show because for, for multiple reasons. And one, one of the main reasons too is that men do not ask for help. They don't know how to do that. And it's a difficult thing when you're, especially when you're suffering from a diagnosis like this. How do you get the help, David, that you need? What makes you so different? And what can you tell others that are reluctant to ask for, for help? You're right. I don't know if it's a pride thing or what. I cannot ask for help. <laughs> I will not ask for help. Most and so th 
<laughs> those who know me know that if I ask for help, I must really, really need help if I ask. But you're going to have time when you're off work to, to look for resources. If you have a, a strong family support, I, I almost have a fan base. Take what people give you. Take the free information that they give you. You may not use it, but take it because you never know. And you will get offers. You will get offers for help looking at Dr. Sabai's website or, you know, other websites, you know, or other research or hospitals that specialize in what you have. Take it. Take it. You may not know where to ask. I didn't know where to ask. I didn't need to ask, but take it. Yeah. If you if you have a problem asking, at least take it when it's given offered to you for free. Absolutely. Take it. Absolutely. You know, it's priceless information. You know, it's it's about getting over that pride and and being able to to ask for that because there's so many, as you talked about, David, there's so many resources out here and there's so many people willing to help. Talk to me a little bit and our listeners, how did David form his team, you know, because a team is not necessarily always who we choose. You know, sometimes people come into our lives uh, and, and get it, get drafted onto our team. Talk to us a little bit about how your team formulated. And especially since you're not one that was kind of prone to asking for help. I am an extremely well-known individual, especially back home in Seattle. The people love me and I, and I love being loved. But when you know so many people and they love you, if they don't have the resource, but they know who has the resource or the information, they're gonna ask and they're gonna provide that to you. And I'm gonna tell you, I have some friends that really stepped up. I have some bent friends that are at nurses. I have some friends that are nurses in the cancer care industry. I have some friends that are just in the medical industry. I have some friends that are, they you know, have their own little side businesses with uh, health and energy drinks and all kind of stuff like that. And then there's just those friends that just want me here. When you have friends that just want you alive, that just want you to exist because you've touched them in some type of way in your life, they just want you here. They get a joy out of hearing my jokes every day, my, my stupid posts on social media, my poetry, you know, my singing, my bass plan, my whatever, you know, when they just want you here, they do. I have, I have a few friends that send me care packages that it's mind boggling how much they've spent on me. There's nothing, they're not asking for anything back. There's no, there's no intimate relationship with any of them, anything like that. They just want me here and happy. And they support me. When you go to help yourself, you'll be surprised how many people help you. And so the biggest way that I learned to help myself is I chose to live. I chose to live and I'm going to live. And that I think has confused many because it appears like I've masked the, the sickness. Cause people tell me, oh, you don't look sick. You know, you're still a, still a big dude. You know, you still <laughs> eat a lot. <laughs> you know, you still, you know, ride your motorcycle and you do this and you do that. You don't look sick because I chose to live. And by doing so, others want to support you choosing to live. You know, essentially, you are what you attract. That's what they say. They say, you know, people don't like to be around those that are not succeeding. It's kind of similar to what you're saying. You chose to live. You are demonstrating in your life that you want to succeed in, in living each day and, and appreciating it. And that's what you're saying is attracting the people around you. And, but this is, could be a two-edged sword too. And let me ask you about it. 
for those that see that David and that smile and supporting him and he doesn't look sick, that can actually go in other people's mind and go, well, he doesn't need anything. How do you, how do you, how does that balance work? And and, and that's something that I, I kind of lightly just touched on is that sometimes people forget every now and then I might be in so much pain because let me just point out with multiple myeloma, it's blood and or bone. So a lot of my bone has been affected, right? And I get in pain and there's no pain like bone pain. That is a completely different kind of internal deep pain. And so every now and then I'll come out with a cane when it's that bad. And people look at me like, well, what'd you do? What, what happened to you? What'd you do? And I say, you know, I should probably be on a cane every day, but I don't want to draw this type of attention. So I don't. But then there's days when I just can't handle it because stress, physical exertion, anger, and sugar exasperates the pain. It adds to the cancer. And if any of those things affect you or all four of those things affect you, there's going to be some change. Yeah. And pain changes people. So how does someone help David when they don't know when he's in pain? Uh, and it, it's not just you, David. I, I said David, but, you know, sometimes we do that, right? We put on that mask and everything is okay, but we are suffering. How would you suggest we, we kind of lower that? that barrier, that guard, so that people can help us? Like, is there, is there a way? Yeah, you have to accept the offers. You have to be open and communicate with people. My neighbors, my family, my friends, those who are really in tune to me, those who have really known me for a long while, they can see the slight limp. They can see the slight grimace. They can hear the slight voice change. They know. They can hear the grunt when I stand and when I sit. And there's so many people, everybody's going through something, everybody's dealing with something. There's so many people with fibromyalgia, MS, lupus, arthritis, young people, and they've all found a way to deal with their pain. And if they find something that works, you know, liquid turmeric, CoQ10, whatever they found. When they care for you, they'll share that with you. Yeah. And again, you have to accept it. You have to be willing to try. You have to be willing to try something. Well, I tell you what, here you are, seven years strong, looking amazing. It's obviously <laughs> you're doing something right. You know, the smile is, is from here to here. It's award winning. You look extremely healthy. Uh, you're talking about some of the hobbies you do, riding your bike, I heard you say, and, and playing playing the guitar. How important is it to have those things in your life? It's important because it's not surrendering. You know, the longer you sit, it's harder to get up. So if you choose to live, then live, right? Continue doing what you can, what you love, because the longer you sit, the harder it is to get up. And it keeps your mind off of it. You know, it keeps your mind off of the negativity. You know, it keeps your mind off of the next treatment. It keeps your mind off of, you know, the money you used to make when you were able to work. I had to retire because of this, because of what they were putting in me. I, I couldn't pass a DOT exam to get behind the wheel of an 18-wheeler. It keeps your mind going and you challenge yourself with new hobbies and things. And also... With a diagnosis, you begin to see things differently. You see life differently. You begin to notice that, oh, that's a peacock that just ran across the road. Look how beautiful it is. <laughs> uh, right? The appreciation, huh? The appreciation. Talk to us a little bit about that, David. Talk to us a little bit about what the way you started and the way you are today. You know, at first you look at what you lose, right? I'm living off of, I don't even know how to, a 12th of what I used to make. And you begin to think about what you lost, 
you begin to think about what you wanted, what you would have got had you still been working. But you know how they say, sometimes you got to give to get. Yeah. Right. So if you're making a new choice on life, you might have to give up working at a new chance of, at life. And you begin to realize that you're happy with what you got. We Americans, we have so much. We, we just gather all these toys and things, but we don't get to really enjoy them all, do we? Right? There's boats rotting yeah. away and sea-doos rotting away and motorhomes rotting away in the driveway because nobody has the time to enjoy the things that they get. So this causes you to be a little bit more humble and to enjoy what you have. You can see right behind there's 1,500 records. Guess what? <laughs> I didn't have the time to really play those and enjoy those before, but now I'm home. I can play my records. It's being able to be humble and accept your new life. It's a new life. It's a new way of life now, right? It's a new diet. It's a new mindset. It's a new day every day. It's a new medication. It's a new treatment. It's a new resting period for you. It's a new set of friends. It's a new new doctors and new nurses. You have to really humble yourself to accept what is and make the best out of that. Absolutely. And thank goodness, some of the best times in my life were when I was broke <laughs> because <laughs> it, it makes it easier now. <laughs> you know, David, it's, it's so important. And I, I think... In this industry, the cancer industry we, that I'm in, uh, that I've been in for 20 years, I think people are starting to see that there's more than just getting the treatments and going to the chemo. And then, you know, especially as a, a worker, you know, as an essential worker, as a, as a radiation therapist, we give the treatments to patients done after, you know, four to eight weeks and then, and then goodbye. There is a mental aspect that has, that's, that's involved. And that's the reason you see, I think, a lot of more, a lot more cancer coaching that has come about. You know, uh, I, myself, I am a cancer coach, but it's about how do you get through that transition? The way you started is not the way you ended up. And right. you, you just you just helped us to see that. And anyone has gone through cancer, they know that the way they started is not the way that it ends up. So we thank you for that, Jim, of, of, of giving us that insight of what it is to be humble. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for that. It's going to change your life, but it's not the end of your life. It's just a new road. You know, you might have been headed down this road. You got to go that way now on your journey. Yeah. So what does life look like now for David? What is... What is it that David really values? What do you appreciate most? I appreciate my friends and family and the support. Not only just opening my eyes every morning, because like I said, I see that differently now than before. I wake up every morning, like, oh, <laughs> hey, I, I made it another day. <laughs> Today's the seventh, right on. But I want to say this because cancer patients and newly diagnosed cancer patients, they react one of two ways. They internalize it, they become private, they don't share it with anyone, okay? And then there are those who are like me, who post about it, who share it. You know, Al Roker, you know, he just publicized, you know, his prostate cancer and, and his journey because he wants other ones to know you're not alone. That's right. There's good help now. Diagnosed early, it can be treated. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But those who, who don't talk about it and become private, I speak for those people to let them know you're not alone. Yeah. You can do this, right? Don't clam up. Share. Because if you don't share... Nobody knows and nobody can support you and nobody can help you. 
for the past two weeks, I've been receiving care packages in the mail because I thought my diagnosis had worsened because, because of my blood count. I had to take a PET scan to find out I'm still okay. But I posted that. I was down before I could get in, go into a dump, boom. Here's a care package from FedEx. Here's a care package from the, from the mailman. Here's a care package from UPS. Here's another one from FedEx. They've just been coming in. You can't yeah. get that support. You can't get uplifted. You can't get all the, the greeting cards from, you know, the congregation, you know, and we're in a, we're a worldwide faith, you know? So people were sending me postcards from everywhere with encouraging scriptures. If they don't know, you can't get that support. Yeah. So then you'll rely on your own thinking and your own understanding, and you'll be in your own little world, your own little bubble, and you're going to go into a funk and you're going to give in. It's a trap. You're not choosing to live. <laughs> Yeah, that's the effect. So you gotta you gotta share. You gotta find some people that you trust to share and allow them to help you and encourage you and uplift you and build you up and support you. Yeah. Well, we here at All Talk Oncology, we are so thankful that you came in and you're sharing. It's priceless, you know, and I think that you are going to help so many people with just being vocal and an advocate advocate on this disease. I am absolutely happy that I was able to be on here and be able to use this as a platform to start my advocacy because again, there's many different types of cancers and it can be a pain, it could be a lump, it can be, you know, who knows? It could be from a, a routine checkup. Like Al, Al Roker was just going in for a routine checkup. Have no symptoms. Yeah. Go to the doctor, get checked, pay attention to your body, look into things because you might possibly save yourself the agony and pain and sickness by waiting. Early detection in anything, in any disease, is good, it's helpful. And with a with a cancer like the one I've been diagnosed with, I thought it was physical exertion because I'm a hard worker. It's internal, but there's no there's no tumors to this. There's no tumors, so I don't I, I don't have a lump to look for, you know. It's it's something different, and it's actually considered an older person's cancer. That's why somebody like Tom Brokaw got it when he did at his age. I'm in my, you know, almost mid fifties. They're wondering how did I, how'd you end up with it? And so um, they're expecting it to spiral out of control out of some, at, at any moment, but I, I chose to live. Yeah. And because of that, I, you know, I had a successful stem cell transplant at Cedar sinai in Beverly Hills. You know, out of 52 uh, bloodless autologous transplant recipients, I went in there and told them when I was going home. They said, no, you're not, you're not going home in two weeks. Nobody's ever gone home in two weeks. That's not gonna happen. It's, it's gonna be about five weeks. I said, no, I'm going home in two weeks. And I kept saying that and finally a nurse got frustrated one day. She says, I appreciate your optimism, optimism and your outlook on life, but you are not going home in five weeks. Your white cells, red cells, platelets, hemoglobins, they're all gonna to drop to zero. You're gonna be on bed rest, you're gonna need oxygen. And then those counts have to rise and stabilize before anyone will ever consider you going home. And that's gonna be for about a period of five weeks. And I says, no, I'm going home in two weeks. I went home in two weeks. Wow. Although I was getting Neupogen injections, my, my counts never went to zero. Then they tripled, then they tripled again. And I went home two weeks to the day. And they're looking at me like, wow. Yeah. Because I never surrender to cancer, ever. You're not gonna keep me in this hospital for five weeks. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> so it's mental, yes. 70, 30. Yeah. I believe it. I firmly believe it. Sure. Your resilience is, is something to, to emulate. And you are a model to so many of us out here. Keep doing what you're doing. 
We appreciate you. And thank you so much for joining us here on All Talk Oncology today. You it know, my before, pleasure. My pleasure. It really uh, is. So I hope you picked up on some of the gems that we discussed here with uh, David Jacobs as he was fighting multiple myeloma. One of the things he talked about is not owning it, not accepting the fact that you have, you know, cancer or saying, oh, I have cancer. No, he didn't want to own that. You know, he fought it. He got the treatments that he needed, but he didn't accept that, you know, that this was his defeat. And that's what I picked up on. And I hope you picked up on that as well. And as you're out here and you're fighting, you're battling that cancer, you don't necessarily have to own it, according to David. And we look at the results for him. Here he is at seven-year mark, still thriving, going strong. And it has a lot to say about your mindset. And he talked about that, right? If you recall, he talked about it's about 70% mental. And if you can get out of your head and, and fight this battle mentally, oh, it's gonna get you that much further. Another gem that I hope you picked up on is he talked about the team that he had. And that team came about because he opened up. He didn't keep it a secret. He got past the fear of, oh, what do I do because I have multiple myeloma? No, he opened up to others. And for men, that is hard to do. It is hard to be able to get out here and talk about um, something that's affecting you as, as cancer does. And so by doing that, did you see the results of what took place? He talked about the care packages that he received, the phone calls, the love that he was shown because he opened up and it took him that much further along in this journey. And so we don't want to miss out on those gems. We want to make sure that we, we speak about it. And many of us, we've seen lately, uh, some celebrities have not talked about some of the things that they've gone through. But let me tell you, it's not just celebrities. I've been here for 20 years and people do not want to talk about that. So if you picked up on what David said, being able to discuss it, there's a, there's a blessing on the other side of that fear. And one of the last things that he talked about was the things that he valued. And one of them was life. And he was like, I want to live. And because he wanted to live and because he values that life, it was a will to fight. And so that's what we have to look for. What is it that causes us to want to fight? Is it our family? Is it our loved ones? Finding what it is that makes us want to fight and not give up. I hope that you benefited from this. I want to thank everyone who tuned in today. Here is where you will find up-to-date discussions with industry experts and leading professionals that can help you on your cancer fight. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, aka The Cancer Guy. Until again, I'm out.